Welcome to the Blackcast, another one of our very special all-interview shows. Now, if you are a subscriber of the Blackcast YouTube channel, you've actually already seen these interviews. But if you prefer your casting of the Black Variety to be inserted orally, A-U-R-A-L-L-Y, into your ear holes, as it were, then you will be hearing these for the first time. I've got two great interviews lined up for you. The first with Dennis DeYoung, formerly of Styx, and then Mark LaBelle from a much newer band called Dirty Honey. So let's start it off with Dennis DeYoung. Very excited for the conversation I'm about to have. Joining us right now is musician Dennis DeYoung, best known as the voice of Styx, but his new album, 26 East Volume 1, is now available and that's what I want to talk about when we get started. Dennis, first of all, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Did you say welcome? Welcome to the grand illusion. <laughs> that's all you get. The rest you have to pay for, Christian. Well, I was going to say, you did just enough. I think we're going to have to uh, pay some royalties to the guy who wrote that song. <laughs> I don't think so. He's, he's going to waive them. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's what I like to hear. <laughs> Uh, well, like I said, I do want to dive right into uh, 26 East Volume 1, specifically the brand new video for what is my favorite song on the album. I have actually had it for a few months because uh, you were kind enough to uh, speak with my boss, Dennis Miller. And uh, all due respect was always my favorite. Uh, I want to talk about the video. There are some familiar faces in there. Uh, and the one that I was sure of was, was that uh, New York-based DJ Scott Shannon in there? No, that guy was out on a, a work release program from, I think, from Rikers Island. I don't yeah. know who that guy That is. sounds like Scott Shannon. That's him. You know, uh, I don't know what's wrong with him. This is the perfect example of what's wrong with them, you know, with the meat in this country. This guy's had a job for 45 years at the top of his profession. Yeah. This is a example of what's wrong with us. <laughs> Uh, obviously you can tell, you know, the, the album, you were able to make the old fashioned way where the band got in the studio, but the video, uh, very clearly everybody's in separate locations. So talk a little bit about filming the video for, with all due respect. Okay. Well, to the good old days, the video, uh, of the song I did with Julian Lennon, uh, he ended up in Europe during the pandemic. We were supposed to be in that video together. I ended up in my aunt's attic where I am right now. And, um, so you know, I had to come up with something, so I put a video together that was all home movies and old photographs, which essentially told my life story as the guy behind the Grand Illusion, you know, the guy, the family man with two kids and the wife he's been married to for 50 years. So when I went to do this video, um, I, you know, I thought, how am I going to do this? Uh, and is this the right song? Okay, uh, Christian, I'm glad you liked the song. You liked it from the beginning, but let me tell you a little history. Uh, everybody I played this song for was scared to death of it, including the guy I collaborated with on this, uh, Jim Peterick, my buddy. Now, here's the story. I had this, this, this hook in my mind for a long time, with all due respect. And uh, you can't say bad words on this, right? Or you can't? You can, you can say all the bad words. Okay. 
Yeah, well, with all due respect, you are an asshole. This is, I, this, you know, and this comes from watching the news for the last 10 years or so. Sure. It's not just, just the last six months. So I had this hook in my mind, you know. So anyway, I played it for Jim. And he went, oh, Dan, we can't do that. I mean, that's not, you. We, sh we shouldn't say, no, that's not, I thought, Jim. So um, I, I did have my band at a sound check play it. And, and then I played it for him because I just sang it to him on the piano. And he says, oh, okay. I said, now, Jim, do me a favor. Go away and create a, an incredibly killer riff for this song. He went and did the and then I said, that's it, beautiful. And so I sang, and I, I wrote, the lyrics on that song are mine. Uh, they express my feelings, not Jim's. Uh, I, don't, I know how he feels, but he doesn't want it public. And so I, I, that's how it all happened. So when I went to do the video, uh, there was fear. I should have called you up. But I already knew what your favorite song was. In fact, when we first talked, I said, I know what your favorite song is on this album. You, you were right. Yeah. Yeah. Because everybody I talk to in the media, in the press, right, journalists, I've been doing interviews now for two and a half straight months about this because <laughs> everybody's locked in their house. <laughs> I, I, I really think my album would have come and gone already had it not been for the fact that people have nowhere to go. So they keep asking, first, first words out of their mouth, uh, tell me about with all due respect. So I thought to myself, well, if people are afraid of it, they're wrong. Because everybody is sitting in their house, watching the nightly news, the cable news, listening to radio, and, and they're screaming, just like me, at the American media and what, his, what it has become. Now, I got no quarter with, I got no problem with anybody who is an opinion columnist or talk show host. I don't like what certain people say. I think it's right. divisive. I think it's destructive to the fabric of our society. When you constantly say that we're divided, people will begin to believe it. And my problem is for the, for the wolves in sheep's clothing that are everywhere, who tell you in, with a straight face that they're, they're unbiased, yet you know, what am I, what am I, uh, Brajol? You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, I'm meat wrapped with string? No. Those are the people that are the danger, the danger to our society. Because enough people, you know, people have this going on. I got to pay the rent. I got to keep my kids from becoming drug addicts and mass murderers. That's what most people are thinking about. And they work their ass off to provide. They haven't got time like you and me. Oh, us smarty pants like you and me. <laughs> we can think the big things. We got time for that because that's what we do. They don't. So they can be easily swayed. Say yes, Christian. No, I, I first of all, yes. I, okay. I, I'm, I'm used to being a yes man to somebody named Dennis. So it's very easy because not only is my boss named Dennis, my father-in-law's name is Dennis. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, I always know how to, how to do what the Dennis's say. But and now me, and now me, bad luck, three out of match. <laughs> anyway, let me finish this. Sure, go ahead. People are, they're frustrated and they are, angry, not at current events or this thing or that thing, but just in general saying, where do I go to get straight news? I just talked to my, my publisher on the phone a few minutes ago. He likes writers. I thought, okay, I'll give it a try because I don't know where to go to get news anymore. I don't. And that isn't, you know, shaded. So when I did this video because of the DIY of the nature, because my band 
is all over the country. We couldn't get together and do this. Um, and D DIY is, I think it's dummies, idiots, and yo-yos. Isn't that what that represents? So we just took a black backdrop and we all played like we were playing someplace. And then that whole cartoon beginning, and that's me, me and my, my editor, uh, 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 Greg Bizarro. Bizarro. That's his really, his real name. It's a great name. <laughs> so we put all together. Um, and my point was, I am saying in the most nonpartisan way, I know how, because if you look at that video, red and blue, red and blue, constantly happening. I'm actually counting the scenes that have red things in them and blue things in them. So I don't have people going, hey, I saw one more blue thing in there than a red thing. Now we know who that is. So um, that's what I did. And I put it all together. And it came out yesterday morning, and it's, it struck a nerve with people. Now, um, I, I actually, uh, my publicist said CNN wanted to talk to me, but um, when he saw the video, he liked the Julian Lennon song, so he wanted sure, to do yeah. it. I, I love it. I like that song. And then when he saw the video, he went, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have to, I don't know if I'm going to get it or not. You never know after this. But he said, uh, I'll, um, I, think I, I think I might, but he says, I can't talk about that song. I said, I don't care. It's not the only song on the album. Yeah, sure. So anyway, that's, a long, that's the longest answer ever to a small question. That's the, uh, well, we only ask small questions here, but we look for big answers. And that was exactly what we wanted. You know, sort of to your point about people in the media, I believe that there are certainly unbiased people in the media, but the problem is when they say, oh, no, no, there's no bias in my newsroom. And that can be wherever they work. There is, you know, so of course there are people that are biased. Just don't pretend that it's not there. I think somebody can definitely, you know, if they're good at their job, they can separate that opinion from what they report on, you know? It'll probably, you know, definitely shade it a little bit, but at the same time, you know, because it's like, well, what are you gonna pursue? What you're passionate about? But if you present the facts, you present both sides of it, and you're right, it's, uh, you know, people who lean conservative are like, well, I don't feel like I fully get my answers from here. People who are more on the left are like, yeah, I also don't feel like I get it from here. And it's really hard to find those things. And sometimes people will be like, Oh, well, I get all my news from the BBC. I'm like, well, that's a very left-leaning state-run organization. You know, I mean, it's run, that's run funded by their government. So it's like, that's not the answer either. I don't know what it is. And it's, you know, it's good to get different perspectives, but it's like, you, you definitely, if you read one story, you're like, well, now I got to go read that same story from three other sources because I don't even know if I can believe it. And I don't want to get too bogged down in pandemic talk, but the problem with that is, oh, I read this article that says this. Yeah, but I read this other article from a different doctor who also has a fancy degree and he says the exact opposite. So like, well, now I don't know. Do I, do I wash my hands while I wear a mask? Do I wear a mask while I don't wash my hands? And so it's, uh, it's so hard to keep track of it. And I think this issue, which you know, is a, a less partisan issue on the surface is like, yeah, just try and uh, keep clean. Even that becomes colored by different, you know, what's the political ramifications are. So I, I, I don't know what the answer is. And I think that's why when maybe I've worked in news-related opinion for so long, I, I did uh, gravitate towards the song so much, and I thought that the, uh, the video is fun. And yeah, you're making the point that, uh, yeah, with all due respect, you're an asshole. Everybody's an asshole. And you know, where's the non-asshole news? That's the show that we need, Dennis, is the non-asshole news. But I don't know that we're going to get Get rid of that other Miller. He's a load anyway, for God's sakes. Is he paying <laughs> you well enough? That's to ask him that question. He does, He's yeah. Going back, because uh, uh, the BBC, right? You give, I think to myself, 
I love the Beatles and fish and chips, right? But they're still <laughs> pissed off about the Revolutionary War. Yeah. You know, they're looking at, oh, we shouldn't have done that. Redcoats, bad idea. But the fact of the matter is, uh, who knows uh, who to listen to? This is my problem. I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. Now, if you can, as we're watching in real time, politicize a virus that's life and death for many people, we're done. We're done. You got yeah. it? I'm not talking about America. I'm talking about humanity. Yeah. What are you talking about? Okay. Now, I remember my video where I go, this just in. Nobody knows nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did I say it? You did. Absolutely. Nobody knows nothing. And that's what I'm saying. People, you realize, look, when I say brajol, and people who don't know what a brajol is, that's like flank stick meat wrapped around some stuff inside, held together with string. That's what people are. A bunch of brajols shooting through space thinking they know something. They don't know shit. <laughs> exactly. Here, here, here's, here's my point. Uh, okay, the virus appears. This one, that one, this one. Th of course, there's all the, the medical community, scientific community. They're struggling. They're going, dude, first of all, the people realize coronaviruses, they're hard to find a vaccine for. Okay, yeah. so now we're struggling because everybody's in trouble, not just people in Angola or wherever that, you know what I'm saying? Not just people who have unprotected sex. Everybody who's walking around, minding their own business, is in trouble. Yet we as human beings still figure out a way to politicize life and death. So I would say to all humans, anyone listening? How many, how many viewers you got? Well, uh, I, I can see you and you can see me, and that's uh, pretty par for the course for the show. No. Okay. I, I don't want to reach too many people. It would ruin my career. Yeah. <laughs> so what I say to them is this. We're human beings. We're all on the same planet. Yeah. Whatever happens to you in this situation could happen to me. And that's true in all situations. Whenever we think, oh, that could never happen here, you turn around and it does. So this is it. Don't believe... These people on TV, even the ones who don't have a political bent, like, what? Do I wear a mask? Do I stand up? The people who have to know these things, the medical people, the, the scientific community, they don't know. They're yeah. struggling to find an answer. And so we have to understand that. But I always say, um, first and foremost, I always told my kids, raised two kids on the road with my beautiful wife for 50 years. I told them this, you know something? Trouble will find you. You don't have to go look for it. And that's how I would tell everybody right now. You don't want to wear a mask? It's not just about you. It's about me too. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I'm going to be prudent. I'm going to put my toe in the pool before I dive in. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the point. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know if there's any sharks in there. Let me at least look in the water before I jump in. Make sure no sharks. Yeah. yeah and look, it's that, it, it is, you know, I'm sure there are certainly exceptions, but for the most part, it's not that uncomfortable to wear a mask. And, you know, I look, I went grocery shopping the other day and it's like, well, it's not so much for me. It's for the people who work there that have, you know, hundreds and thousands of people come in during the week. And, you know, it's reading about, dentists literally earlier today and it's uh, not much of a risk for you or i to go in before that dentist who is literally like you know putting hands inside your mouth and there's spittle everywhere it's like one of the most high-risk jobs you can have there for them so it's like yeah whatever you can you obviously can't wear a mask when you're in the dentist's office but you wear it the other times so that uh, you know you at least don't run the risk of it and I, it has become overly politicized you have uh it it, it gets to be a hard thing to talk about 
because on the one hand, you have sort of the, the fatigue. I mean, I'm sure right now you should be uh, out on the road and uh, promoting, you know, 26 East Volume 1. That's why people wouldn't have forgotten about it if it weren't for this, because you'd be out there. But now it's like people just want to go out and they want to do stuff. And it's like, great. Well, you know, when you go somewhere, you can sit in a park. And if you run into other people, just uh, put the mask on. I don't know. But that's, it seems easy, but I guess it's not for everyone. Just so I can tell your, your listeners, both of them, um, <laughs> who I am, um, I'm a careful person, even though I was, uh, and I was a, 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 in a rock band, I'm a careful person. I've been in, in this house now for 10 weeks or so with my wife, you know, uh, she insists upon a six foot distancing, even in our house, even during sex. And she said, it's never been better. Uh, Christian, I don't know what that means. I don't like it. No, and, and I, it, I don't like it either. Yeah. I don't like, and right now I'm sitting here, you only can see this, my, my bear jersey and my course, Chicago. Chicago fire department. Yeah. But if you could see down below, I'm wearing a cup. <laughs> well, you have because to. You never know when a, yeah. you know, a ball could take a bad bounce. That's who I am. So you understand. Well, I'm a careful Look, person. you know, and, and I think that at least your wife has the respect to be in the same room as you. My wife and I, when we go to have sex, it's only on Zoom. That's the only way she will ever do it. So uh, it's at least clean. I'm stealing that one. <laughs> I ain't crediting you because. No, the, no, 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 no. Okay. Fine. Yeah, but the six foot distancing is great because uh, she said, uh, uh, then she, she discovered that she married Gumby. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so obviously the, you know, what we're primarily talking about is 26 East uh, volume one. And I've heard you speak about it with my boss and also in some other places that uh, this was intended to be your last album. Uh, it still will be, but they broke it up into two. That's why it's volume one, right? Because you had so many songs and they're like, let's just do this batch. That, that's, that's where the volume one comes from, right? Yes, the, the record company said the magic words will give you twice as much money. I thought, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> what am I, communist? Yeah, so, twist my leg, twist my arm, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. The thing is volume one and volume two, this was not my idea. Uh, that was, I said, can you think of something more pretentious? But I, I wanted to call it this one and that one. They, right. they said no. They didn't they, want that. <laughs> no, because uh, it, it, it plays against the grain of that I actually know something. And they want me to, but volume one, you know, he, he, could, be a, he could be Tolstoy. I'm not. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, what is the album? Um, the, the title, 26 East, is the address of my parents' house in Chicago, in that basement of that house, the Panazzo brothers, John and Chuck, lived across the street from me. Right. We got together at 14 years old and 12. I played the accordion, and uh, we put a little band together because we want to please our parents. That's all, make them smile, you know, looking for approval, like every human being, including you, wanted to make mama happy. I played the accordion, she's Italian, I'm all happy. Lady of Spain, good for you. So um, then two years later, Boom, the Beatles, that's Sullivan. I went, uh-oh, what just happened to me? <laughs> Close your eyes and I, like the kite, you know, the eyes. Yeah. And I said, well, that looks like a good job. Yeah. So we started, we stopped playing our parents' music to make them happy. And then we started, uh, we started uh, playing rock and roll music. And then we, you know, we got a, a series of guitar players until we ended up with the, uh, the five. Uh, let's see, James Young, John Zerleski, and they made the first five albums. So that's what happened at 26 East was a, a testimony to the three mooks. John, 
the three locomotives on the front going into the stars because those guys, they were the foundation. Sure. They stuck together all those years until we became sticks, like it was uh, eight years after our inception. So that's what it is. Um, here's what I do. Recently, I did a Facebook, um, YouTube post where I, this is an iPad, right? I told you it's sitting in a box. Yeah. And I play, tonight's the night we'll make history. I sang best of times because fans on my Facebook said, Dennis, during this horrible time, we need your, your music more than ever. Would you please be, you know, like all the other needy celebrities and make sure you do something from your house? I thought, well, so I did it. It got over a million, 100,000 views in a month. Wow. Boom, Lady Gaga, that never happened. <laughs> That happened. And I went, oh my God. Now listen to this. This is this is why people want to be in show business. It gets all those views. Almost 10,000 comments. Ten a month. You know what they said? What did they say? I read the sentences. My name is in there, but I don't know who I don't know what my name is in that sentence. They say the most beautiful complimentary completely untrue things that I've ever read about me. I'm a gift from God over and over again. Wow. Everything is so, you know, I mean, you're an American treasure. I thought last week I was just the guy that used to be in sticks. I sing the song <laughs> and there it is. I think to myself, honest to God, the first, it started trending. You know what I mean? I don't even know. That's never happened to me. I never trended. Last time I trended was 81. I had a mustache. I didn't even invent that. So <laughs> this thing is just, I'm looking at it and people are saying these crazy things to me. And I think, what? Wow, it's so nice. I got tears in my eyes. I thought, but my wife says, it says your name in there, but that's not you. <laughs> I says, I know they're confused, but you know, everyone is so exposed right now, emotionally. Sure. Because it's a time for reevaluation re of everything that we've done in our lives, where our priorities are. And uh, I think they were just expressing how much they loved Sticks, loved my voice, and that song, which has the line People lock their doors and they hide inside, and rumor has it it's the end of paradise. So I thought, well, maybe that's appropriate. So this, this happens. It's like I can't even believe it. So I said, at this point, I couldn't reach a million people on the road. I'd, I'd be 250 years old by the time that happened. Sure. I sat here in this room that you see behind me and, and just did that. And uh, you explain it to me. When people think they know something, nobody knows nothing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I think that there is, a, there is an affinity for obviously songs we remember, but this idea that... Uh, you no, know, for most of us, probably this isn't the best of times, but you hear a song like that and you think about it and you're like, yeah, that, that song makes me feel like even this moment is not as terrible 24 hours a day as, uh, well, the aforementioned news media would want it to be for us, you know, because if we think everything's terrible, we'd be afraid to uh, turn our TVs off. So, uh, yeah, and I think it's, you know, you're seeing a lot of musicians kind of do this sort of thing you're talking about. They don't, they don't have the, the million people reach in a month, which is fantastic. But I think it's, it, it's at least some degree of a substitute for going out on the road and being able to promote things and 
you know, doing a lot of interviews and I think people feel, especially when you do one of those live events and it's like, you know, if you have a moderator who reads your question, their questions to you, they're like, oh, I get to interact with this guy. I wouldn't be able to do that if I went to the concert. So uh, I think, uh, I, I think I get that. But yeah, obviously to what you were saying, everybody does of course think about you in, you know, in terms of your relationship being a part of Sticks. And uh, I know that obviously you're not a, a part of the band anymore, but I always want to, when, when I talk about sticks, it's always important to point out stuff like I, I took these detailed notes because I didn't want to get them wrong. It sold more than 50 million albums worldwide, and it was the only band to have four consecutive platinum albums. Uh, I think, uh, you know, getting that second one sometimes can be really tough. You know, you're talking about, or, yeah. Or triple platinum. Triple albums. platinum. See, that's even, that's even better. And you, clearly, it's, it's 50% better for triple we- platinum albums. If we sold 50 million copies, can you tell me where that money is? Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Don't stop here. We had hits in three decades. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it I, was a good band. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they're, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there's, uh, so, and then you, I, I guess they had 10 uh, top 10 singles, but uh, you were, and you wrote seven of them. So obviously that's another time to ask, where's all that money? <laughs> Yeah. No, we had eight and I wrote seven, but who's okay. counting? No, that's even yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's so, better. so the other, so the, and then the other one doesn't count because you didn't write it. That's the point. So <laughs> it counted. Look behind me. You see this joint I live in? Yeah. I'm in my neighbor's house. He's got a really nice house. He's away in someplace in Montana hiding. So I just broke in here. Yeah. Well, your, your neighbor, your neighbor has 12 number one hits and that's the difference. Yeah. That's why they have <clears> Here it is. Um, when I told you my story and, this real affection that people have for the music I was involved in creating. I never, when I was making it, I was trying to kick Aerosmith and Queen's ass. That was my goal. I wasn't thinking about 60 year olds because there weren't any. Will come up to me and tell me how much, what I was a part of creating changed their lives. And they mean it. And I go, man, I'm glad I saw the Beatles. Uh, I'm glad I, cho- I chose this profession. And so now I sit here at 73 and I look around and I go, oh my goodness. <clears throat> so I constantly, the thing I like about doing this album is um, it, it allowed me a chance to wave goodbye, which I do, and say to all these people who give my family and me this incredible life, thanks. I mean, I, I, I don't even know how this happened. Uh, I just kept, you know, you just, you're like on a train, right? You're trying to go. And uh, so... To all the people who, both of you who are going to listen to this podcast of Christians, <clears throat> I, I want to say, you know, if you bought a Sticks album or, or, or anything, please uh, uh, contact Christian and I'll have, you get, give me your address. I'll have my kids, you know, send you a thank you note. <laughs> yeah, just a, like a, a nice, per- yeah, because it's like you, you helped put food on the kids' table, sent them yeah. to school and all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, you know, the idea that uh, you could get out there on the road, you would be on the road, like I said, uh, you know, it's, it, there's so many, you want to talk about things that are widely different opinions. For you, uh, you mentioned, look, you mentioned you're 73 years old, you probably don't want to be out on the road before it, it's, it's safe to do so. Uh, do you have realistic expectations that you could be on the road next year or you just really don't even know when it might be but you would love to get out and play these songs live for people yeah my new tour manager is the cdc um (laughs) and they're contradicting themselves daily 
here it is in a nutshell. <clears throat> Nobody knows nothing. Yep. <laughs> Some bands true. are going to try. I, I just read something about Live Nation. About I their, 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 I think to myself, okay, I'm waiting. But somebody else, you know. Yeah, well, just uh, for, for people that didn't see it, I'll just, uh, the Live Nation is flat out saying that artists should be expect to be paid less in 2021 because uh, Live Nation is uh, having a very tough time as they want us to all feel bad for. As, uh, that, that's, the, that's what I take away from that story. Well, <clears throat> but no, that was a different story. They just said they're going to do some shed dates. That shed, oh. those are, they're going to let, they're going to do some of those. And yeah. I thought to myself, who's coming? Yeah. I guess the people who firmly believe that, uh, that, that, it, that the virus is a hoax, or maybe people who have gotten it are, are better. I just keep thinking, prudence, that's it. You know, I keep thinking, okay, why would you allow all those people to get in a small space and to experiment, to hear music? I like music. Don't get me wrong. I love music. It's, it's my lifeblood. But I like breathing without a ventilator. Yeah. So I would just say, um, I got to wait and see. Of course, they want to be on the road. Of course, they want to be promoting my album, playing this music for people, uh, playing all the old hits that people want to hear. And on the other hand, I have responsibilities to my family not to do something stupid. And um, I'll be back <clears throat> when it's proved that it's, it's, it's reasonably safe to do so. Now, obviously, you talked about the album being a farewell. Now, does that mean that when the tour comes around, are you going to uh, slap that branding on it, that you'll say that this is a farewell tour, which uh, a lot of bands and performers do? And, uh, you know, I, 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 you don't need to comment on it, but a lot of people will point out that uh, Kiss did their first farewell tour literally 20 years ago. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, that is a, it's a, oftentimes used as a marketing tool. That's why I'm asking if, if you're leaning towards the Dennis DeYoung Farewell Tour uh, t-shirts. Maybe you even have a box of them ready to go somewhere in that attic. I don't, but um, I maybe you'll follow Frank. Remember Frank, Frank, Frank Sinatra? Yeah. He retired every five years. No. <laughs> no. This is my last record. And um, as far as touring... I don't know what's going to happen, but um, when I said it was my last album, I didn't say it was my last tour, sure. but I said for, you know, the cooties, the COVID cooties, I said it before that. Yeah. And um, so I don't know. I am, I'm with that group that says nobody knows nothing. I'm yeah. the first line who will raise his hand and say, Hey, Hey, I don't know. Yeah. Anybody yep. who says they, they're full of it, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's interesting, you know, to sort of talk about the business side of it, because obviously the live experience has become so much a part of it, you know, that's really where the money is. I mean, you have, it's not just Live Nation, but they're the biggest one. You have a lot of promoters that begrudgingly finally started canceling stadium dates for bands. Uh, Coachella, the big festival out in California where I live that they finally canceled it. They'd moved it to October and everybody's like, you're not going to get, you know, what, 50,000 people out in the desert. And they knew that, but it's like, all right, I guess, you know, let's get one more interest payment on everybody's money before we start having to give a little bit of it back. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how anybody could with confidence buy, even if somebody announces a tour in the summer of 2021, like, yeah, okay, when it gets closer, I'll definitely buy my tickets then. But uh, you know, like you said, nobody, nobody knows nothing. No, and the thing is, um, 
if let's say they, they figure something out, that would be a godsend to all of us. Yeah. And then we'll be able to make good judgments rather than ignorant ones. So the going forward, I will do what I think is right for myself and my family. If you want to go to a concert and be with 20,000 of the people, that's your choice. I don't care. That's fine by me. Um, but me, I, I just want to be, I want to be certain that what I'm doing is worth the risk. Sure. You know, and, and that, it's just simple. So Coachella, Lollapalooza here in Chicago. Yeah, right. Um, but who, who knows? Here's the thing. Let's say all the musicians are superheroes, like the people used to write, read in your Marvel comic book collection. <laughs> That's right. Look at me. I can do anything. I can. Um, what, about the, what about the audience? Yeah. What if they all start dropping dead in the third song? That's just an exaggeration. No, but you know what? No, but I mean, you know, I mean, not even to personalize it to you, just imagine being any performer and then you go like, well, you know, we did what we call that contact tracing and this outbreak, we can go back to the fact that they all went to so-and-so's concert. Just imagine being that performer and going like, oh, did I really need that, that payday where everybody got sick? And, you know, I think that, uh, and, and then when you start to try and do, you know, I know that they've done some socially distant performances. You've done some outdoor performances and there've been, uh, I, I remember there was a, back, going back about two months ago, there was a show in Alabama where it was a 1200 seat venue, but they only sold like 250 tickets and everybody was really spaced out. And that's the sort of question where you're like, all right, I get as an experiment, but is it, is that worth it? Is that worth the risk? Is it worth the, you know, I don't even know what the, the reward is, you know? And I mean, it's, I, under, I do understand, look at the, the, you know, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get back out there one day or, or maybe not. They're going to be fine. But there are bands that that's where the real money comes from, you know, bands that, you know, especially like, let's say a band that's been around for 25, 30 years, but doesn't own their catalog. The only way they're making money is to go out on the road. So I can see the hunger and just the need for like, yeah, I got to get out there. But then that goes back to do the people want to sit there, you know? What you just said needs investigation. The biggest swindle are these robber barons, so many of whom had no money in the game to the investment of the people who made the music. There's been a, a connection, the evil cabal between, I don't know, the Swedish guy and all these people who invent file sharing. Yeah. Okay. They got nothing. They had no investment in it. Leveraged up the ass. Then the record companies, the big three, I think there's three of them now, they want to make a deal. Yeah. So they can cut the musician out. And they've done it systematically. Now, don't feel sorry for me, kids. I'm not asking for your sympathy. I got mine. I lived at the greatest time to be a musician. But if you want new music and new people coming up by the beating, by the boom, Forget it. You got to pay them something. You can't take it for free. And I know there's millions of people who pay, but not enough yeah. to keep musicians in a job. And they said, Oh, don't worry about this. I laughed through the whole thing, Christian. I laughed myself silly. Said, well, well, now you'll make your money on, on the road. And I thought to myself, cart, horse, imbecile, stupid. How do you go on the road if you don't get radio airplay or, or attention on the internet? There's one Billy Irish. Eilish every 70,000 years. Yeah. You can't put on a consistent basis. So musicians now being forced to go on the road, guess what? Pandemic Pete shows up and says, 
you can't go out there either. So musicians are dead. The whole structure, live nation, la 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 la, living in a, uh, in a make-believe world. That whole business model that was destroyed by the people in charge of it, with collaboration in Congress, as they, well, let's not stand in the way of the internet. What? I mean, really, listen, Marky Mark Zuckerberg, we know him, right? Sure. You know what his idea was? Wasn't his mission statement? Let's connect everyone. You know what I say? Has he met everyone? Why would you want to connect those people? <laughs> yeah. I'm saying, you know what I mean? So, yeah. am I rambling here? But no, 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 no. It's, uh, it's funny it, to, to think. From music. No, you can't have your money. I don't care what you create. It makes me happy. Ah! And then now the, now the pandemic, which has nothing to do with anything but the demands of the universe to replace and replenish. <laughs> Listen, that's what I think the universe is. I yeah. look around and okay, get rid of that. Let's do this. Get rid so now it's our turn right now. Is this too negative? I hope. Let's get back to 26 East. It's really good. <laughs> there are some songs you can dance to. And, uh, you know, look, you mentioned the Beatles. You mentioned the Julian Lennons on the, the, the old day, the good old days, you know. So, yeah, there's and, and 26 East Volume 2 is coming at some point. So it's like if you like this, listen to it a bunch of times. There'll be the second one. And one day, Dennis says he'll get back on the road. But just don't don't look to buy your tickets just yet. Don't do the pre-sale. Don't do the, the fan club pre-buy with the meet and greet. Just wait. One day he'll get back out there. Yeah, I don't have a Golden Circle tickets. Everybody paid the money. I mean, you know, it's, it's a gouge. Because why are musicians gouging their fans? Because the promoters and the whole situation, it's a mess. Yeah. It's, and um, what I'm saying is 26 East is really a terrific record. <laughs> I if agree. You like, if you like the things I said here, uh, you can go to my Facebook page because I write all. Uh, there's no stooge. There's no bots, okay, uh, that are writing that stuff. I'm just telling you what I think because I'm 73 and quite frankly, CB, I don't give a shit what people think about me anymore. You don't need to at this point, you know? No, where am I going? They're going I never liked that guy anyway. Okay, it's fine by me, you know? Just do me a favor. You don't have to spend every day of your life saying it on the internet. No. Ooh, he's, you, he's a poo-poo face. Oh, Jesus. No. What are people? See, Marky Marky connected us all. Exactly. How's that worked out? How's it? It's worked out well for him. You know, he's doing okay, Mark Zuckerberg. People write in and say, ooh, you're such a, you're, you're just a Naniagua. Do they, <laughs> do they say that about you? No, you know what? They've said a lot of things about me. Uh, the, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I, I don't, I, I think negativity is unbecoming. And then I'm like, well, clearly you've never heard me talking to Dennis, you know, Dennis Miller and now you as well. Because uh, I don't know, I think, look, there's a lot of things funny in the world, you know, and it's like, you especially need to look for them right now because there's so many unfunny things. So when you see it, and I don't know if I, if I tweet something that I see is funny and somebody gets upset, but the majority of people seem to, you know, there's the instant gratification on social media. You get a little heart or a little thumbs up. You're like, I got more thumbs up than thumbs down. If this, you know, if this were the Roman Coliseum, I would live because I got more of the thumbs up. And that's really all I'm looking for. So, well, you know, you know what Dorsey's middle name is? The guy who did Twitter, isn't that his name? Uh, Jack. Jack Dorsey. Yeah, yeah, that's his name. Yeah. His middle name is foot and mouth disease. That's Twitter to me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. 
and uh, you know, it's, uh, I've I've told people I uh, I do I do some uh, post promotional posts on uh, my boss Dennis Miller's uh, Twitter, so that means I see all the mentions and everything. A lot of people love them. Plenty of people love them. Are so excited. And then yeah. when somebody doesn't like you, though, they really take the time to make sure that yeah. they express how much they don't like you. You know, I'm not on Twitter. Good because, for you. Uh, no, I'm not going to do it because my dad said uh, you don't have to express every thought. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, you know, and, and uh, just a, a final thing, you know, you, you referenced Frank Sinatra and uh, talking to you, you know, a, a good uh, Chicago guy like yourself, it reminds me of another great Chicago guy that I had the privilege to talk to recently and Dennis interviewed him for uh, the Dennis Miller option is comedian Tom Dreesen, who of course opened for Frank Sinatra. So, uh, you know, he opened for Sinatra for like 14 years and, uh, you know, so it's uh, talking, you know, you guys are both very, very uh, down to earth Chicago guys, but also very funny. So, uh, I assume you must have crossed paths with Tom at some point. So uh, I, I hope you know that that's a compliment because he's such a funny yeah. guy. Thanks. We know each other. Yeah. We've done some charity work together. He's a great guy. And he is. He's from Harvey, yeah. which is all Chicago. He's from Chicago. He says, no, he's nice from Harvey. It's a suburb. <laughs> to be fair, he, <laughs> he, he does always say he's from Harvey. He's very, yeah, yeah I, I I'm generalizing. Guy. Yeah. yeah. I love the guy, but I grew up on 101st place. That's the city of Chicago. <laughs> that's the city Probably of Chicago. Killing that. You know, you're from Harvey. Yeah. But he yeah, does it. On. Um, you know, if you've ever been to Harvey, you know, what, what drives us? We're, um, we lived in the second city, which now is the third city. So, you know, when you're the second this and when you're on the south side of Chicago, that's the stupid part. Okay, the smart part is the north side. The working class people, all right, the guys at United States Steel, you know, carry the lunch. That's the south side, you know, the, the working sure. class. And, um, uh, you have you'll, you'll have a chip on your shoulder because you you know you're always second, and so we we tend to be more down to earth. Uh, un, unlike was it was it was it Aldo Chelli? What was his name? He was no slave to fashion. People on the south sides they're no slaves to fashion. Meat and potatoes, baby. Yeah. Well, I I, uh, I love to visit the city of Chicago when uh, Dennis had an old-fashioned radio show. We used to do an event at least once a year there, and it was always great. And one trip that I took to Chicago, I it doesn't happen a lot, but the, the every like once or twice a season, the stars align. And I went to a day game at Wrigley, and then a night game at what was then called Comiskey, and just getting to see the Cub fans and the White Sox fans, and just sort of sit there amongst them. I'm like, this is great. I love all these people, and uh, you know, I, I'm a I'm a Mets fan, so always the the little engine that could is going to be more of of my cup of tea. So I loved being at Comiskey, and you know, guys came from the office in suits, and somebody yelled, "Hey, this isn't Wrigley!" And the guys took off their ties. So, <laughs> did anybody ever tell you you look like you could be Glenn Fry's brother? You know, Glenn. That's the first Glenn Fry I've ever heard. I usually get Nathan Lane, you know, the comedic actor. And uh, well, I so would choose Glenn Fry. Over I Nathan. would definitely choose Glenn Fry. Yeah, I Anything. love Nathan. I yeah. love Nathan. Sure. Yeah. What have I got a fucking this? Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Dennis, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me, as I said, and uh, I look forward to whenever the, the, the 26 East on the road happens, uh, I'll be there and uh, looking forward to seeing some of these songs live. Uh, obviously, 26 East Volume 1 is the album, and it's just DennisDeYoung.com. It's that simple, right, if, that, if that's where people want to find you? Um, if you want to find me, you can go to my Facebook page. I got a website, DennisDeYoung.com, but really Facebook is where... Okay. That's where it's you know, that's where it's going on right now. But one last question. Yeah. Any any residuals from this show? Yes. 
Yes, you you will get sixty percent of what I make from this show. So, uh, and and what that means is that yeah. we'll post a link to it on Facebook, and then you'll see comments from you know six people out of Honey, the ten. We gotta have pizza tonight. The guy's a cheapskate. Wow. Right. Yeah, it's great being with. You. It's great talking to you. I hope it's from Lou Malnati's or uh, somewhere. Maybe you got a better. No, place. no, 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 no. Uh, uh, Vito and Nick's eighty third and thin. People think that Chicago pizza is all thick. That's that's in the last 20 years. No, Chicagoans, thin, thin, thin with the fennel sausage and they cut it in squares. See, this this whole thing, this whole interview was just a ruse just because I wanted to get a pizza recommendation for you and I finally got it. You know, I haven't even been recording this whole time. It's really, that's all I wanted, but. Yeah, well, that's okay because I had nothing to say. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much to Dennis DeYoung and thanks to all of you. Don't forget blackcast.com b-l-a-d-t-c-a-s-t the blackcast on facebook and i'm on twitter at blackcast b-l-a-d-t-c-a-s-t thanks again to dennis de young Joining me now is musician Mark LaBelle of Dirty Honey. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, uh, I like what uh, I've been able to hear from the band so far. You have the, uh, the one EP, and uh, I've, uh, I know about your band because uh, I, uh, well, I don't know what else to call them. Sort of like the, the guru of hard rock and heavy metal, Eddie Trunk, has had you guys on a couple of times. Yeah. And I admit that I don't know that I would have heard you otherwise, but uh, I'm just really glad that uh, I've been able to find you because uh, I'm an old man. I'm 44. So I complain a lot of the times about like, I don't know how many, you know, there's good bands that, that I've found that I think have come out in the last 20 years, but there, there aren't a lot of bands where I'm like, oh, I really love that band that's come out sure. in the, the 21st century. And I know how old it makes me sound, but what I love about your band is it sort of has an old feel but you know, not in the way of, you know, it sounds like these are actual recordings from like the seventies or whatever. So you have that kind of spirit. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of your influences and why you think that sound is, is it is a modern sound, but it has that kind of, you know, old school feel to it. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I've been diving into this Tom Petty documentary and, and a lot of the stuff that they recorded with Jimmy Iovine fell into our, similar recording philosophy of just you know capture everything together in a room get a great performance of the band doing everything together that that's the foundation of the recording right and when i look back on the sound of the tom petty stuff that i love the sound of more you know more than the songs i guess um that's the stuff that really speaks to me the refugees the here comes my girl the breakdown sort of songs whereas when he went with Jeff Lynn, it was a completely different recording process for like Full Moon Fever with Won't Back Down and Free Fallen. And it's got this like cleaner, more polished, you know, sound that I, I also definitely love, but doesn't speak to what we're doing as much, right? It, it doesn't sound as much like a band as it does, you know, just something else, something more polished. So, uh, yeah, I think when we got into the studio, that was the philosophy. Um, you know, capture a great performance of the band and, and that's your foundation and, you know, just take it from there and just capture great tones and stuff. And I think, um, 
you know, since we've been in quarantine, we've been building off of, you know, our, our tones and our sounds a little more, but, you know, still keeping that same philosophy of getting it all together. Everybody did it that way. So. Yeah, I mean, you, when you think about Tom Petty's sort of body of work as a whole, I mean, uh, you know, sort of the, the age I was, the, the Full Moon Fever is basically when I first knew who he was, and that, right. that album's great, all that stuff. But awesome. then when you hear, like, the first, like, two seconds of American Girl, it almost feels like maybe in the late 80s, they'd be like, no, that's, that's a little bit too raw. We need, to, we need to have a cleaner drum sound than that. But yeah, exactly. the song is so great exactly the way it is. And uh, well, both work, but you're going to get a different feel from both of them. So yeah, I, I can, totally. yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, uh, one of the things that I know you guys did within the last few months is you did a, a cover of the Aerosmith song, uh, Last Child, which yeah. is great. Now, Aerosmith is a perfect example of another band that I first discovered in the late 80s with their Pump album. But then you go back and you're like, they're this great other band with like a completely different feel and you can attribute that to the lifestyle they led to put it mildly but um talk a little bit about the selection of that song and, and how fun it must have been to you know i mean that last child when he actually says last child i can't even try and do it it's so you know it's such a high register i know um yeah it's been a favorite song of mine for sure for a long time there was a record um called little south of sanity it's a live double like live record that Aerosmith has and the version on there just really spoke to me for whatever reason and you know so did the original um but uh we were originally doing draw the line um in the early the really early gigs of, of dirty honey and when we went out with uh slash we were just like isn't his favorite record i think his favorite record of all time is rocks or it's the one that he sort of says changed his life um and, and made him want to pick up a guitar so we were like we should do something off rocks i think he'd like that and uh you know that was sort of the catalyst for us going out and starting to play that song and then people started telling us they love this version and then uh you know we, we did this thing for amazon with dave cobb where we we actually went and recorded it and again he had a similar philosophy of, of recording his whole style it's just great performers in a room with a, a great performance and um you know it, it came out really well i was actually really proud of that one and, and i'd wanted to work with him for a long time so um but yeah that's that's sort of how we we happened upon choosing that song it's just we just started doing it for slash and uh he was appreciative i found out way later so Oh yeah, no, no. I've definitely heard him talk about, especially that era of uh, Aerosmith. And uh, I think the first time I heard that song was when they did it on their MTV Unplugged Aerosmith. And uh, you know, there's there's some like great vocals on there. What you know, the mix on that show wasn't always great, but right. uh, that Aerosmith one. I mean, you know, they you know, an acoustic toys from the attic. You would think like, well, that's not going to work. But uh, right, right. I guess when you're Aerosmith, you know, at, at least at that time, pretty much everything worked. You know, so yeah, and they're all so cool. You know, like. They can, it, it, you know, just just so long as they're all there if they show up it's going to be pretty good usually so. right yeah exactly now uh the interesting thing i mean there's obviously a few interesting things about your band but you know one of the great places to start is that you don't have a record label but your debut the debut single when i'm gone was number one on billboard's mainstream rock chart at which you know, an unsigned band had never done that before. And then your second single was number four. So talk a little bit about, you know, I mean, when, 
when I was younger and you would hear, you know, you would see like the behind the music and you would see all these bands talking about, you know, how important it was to, you know, like, like Aerosmith, if they hadn't gotten a record deal, I don't think we ever would have found out who they were, right. you know? So uh, talk about where you're at in 2020 and whether you feel like, you know, you and the band obviously feel like it's important to have a record label or how it's not maybe as essential as it used to be. Yeah, I, I think it's, it maybe isn't as uh, sorry about that as essential as uh, it used to be, but um, I think it's been a great learning experience about the record business as a whole for us not having a label. You're learning something every day from, you know, just just how things work and how to market something, and uh, you know how. I think the biggest lesson we learned is that a great song, whether you have a label or or not, or whatever you know it can open doors that you know a mediocre song with all the support you know can't do it, it just it doesn't matter a great song is gonna get get its recognition no matter what so um but yeah i think you know for us we certainly have been out on the road with a lot of different artists and literally none of them say how much they love their label Right. And, you know, and they're like, wow, like we're really impressed with what you guys are doing. I think it's awesome that you don't have a label. Um, we hate our label, you know, whatever, whatever they say, but it's usually not good. Literally nobody's ever said you have to talk to my A&R guy. They're the best. So. Yeah. And I mean, the way that, you know, like you said, if it's a great song, you know, you, you can literally text a link to your friend. You can share it on social media and be like, listen to this yeah. great song. Whereas it'd be like, hey, do you know this song that goes like this? Yeah, sit by the radio for two hours. Maybe you'll hear it or, you know, request right. it on TV. So the way that, you know, you can kind of share a great song, it isn't like, wait, am I sharing a song by a band that has a label or are they unsigned? You just know if you like it. And I think, you know, there are definitely going to be some drawbacks, I I'm sure, to being a band now. But that would be one of the positive things, at least as an outsider, I would imagine. Without a doubt. And, and we were just talking like, you know, I'm fortunate to have some connections, you know, friends that work in, you know, film production and produce music videos all the time. And, you know, that's been a big weight taken off, you know, my shoulders. Cause I, I definitely sort of spearhead a lot of those things and just getting them done and coming up with the creative elements of, you know, music videos and whatever. But, you know, if you had a label, obviously they'd have a network of directors and, um, creative types to just help pitch you ideas and really be able to get things done with a lot of fluidity and um you know so those are some of the little things that and certainly if like you want to go on tour the band we went out with the amazons they came out on tour with us and and they basically told their label hey we want to go tour the states for the first time with dirty honey we have an opportunity to go out with this other you know young rock band we need some money and they're there to give them some money if they need it you know if they agree with whatever they're proposing and we certainly don't have that luxury, um, which would be nice to have. But at the same time, you know, we have a lot of creative control. We can keep our masters and, you know, we sort of control our own destiny with our writing. So, um, you know, right now, I, I don't think there's any plans to sign with a label. Um, sure. We're just trying to stay afloat through this, this tough time like everybody else and, uh, you know, just see where the road takes us. Right. And obviously, impressively, you know, I talked about some of the chart position, but uh, already in your band's career, you've opened for uh, The Who, Guns N' Roses, and you talked about opening for Slash. And I mean, you know, the, the Who, when you think about sort of that 50 plus year legacy, it's like 55 years now, I think. 
and Guns N' Roses, you know, probably, you know, the, one of the biggest bands of the last 30 years. So, you know, how, how does that even get to happen? Does somebody that works with those bands be like, oh, I like this song, let's have that band? Or is that, is that where it starts to come into play that maybe, you know, if you know some people who can call in a favor here or there? Yeah, well, I mean, it starts with great management, right? So, you know, our management company represents mm -hmm. us um, and Slash, Slash and Solo Project with Miles Kennedy. So, um, you know, when our manager was looking for gigs for us to do, it's, it's not a big deal to call Slash's manager and say, hey, I got a young rock band with this song. And then, of course, Slash has to approve, you know, whoever he's going to take out. If he doesn't like it, I'm sure he's not going to give them the opportunity. But he just... Um, Yeah, he gave a call to uh, to Slash's manager, sent him the song when I'm gone, and uh, you know, the next thing we know, we're getting a call from from Mark Padilla, our guy, who's just like, I got you guys to gig with Slash. He, he loved the song, and go out there and kill it. And then uh, it was it was one night in Cleveland. We did a did a show with him, and and he was super gracious and coming up and just saying like, Hey, I really love what you guys are doing. It's great for rock and roll, and you know, I'm I'm gonna support you guys and I think I think it's awesome, and we heard through the grapevine that uh, you know he was just like something about Dirty Honey. We had a lot of bands open up for us, but when Dirty Honey did it, it was just a different. It was it was a better atmosphere for whatever reason. We we all noticed it. Miles Kennedy has been pretty vocal about it too, so um, we're very grateful. But yeah, it comes with good management. I, there's a nice web of of uh, rock guys at at Red Light, and um, you know they've all been been really helpful. And, uh, you know, look, I, I know you guys have uh, headlined plenty of shows, but opening for Guns N' Roses or The Who, like how large were those venues? I'm going to assume that, you know, we're talking like arenas or stadiums, right? Yeah, they were both arenas. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's a little different, you know, to, you know. Definitely different. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, I can only imagine. That's like, oh, okay, so I, I can see why bands like to, you know, pack in, I don't know, 50,000 people. And, of course, when you think about that now, it's so crazy to think about, you know, when you might be able to be in a venue of, of, you know, most sizes. Now you guys were actually supposed to go out on tour pretty much right when everything started to get shut down, right? In the middle of May, I think you were, no, sorry, the middle yeah. of, uh, you know, all these months run together. I do that all the time. I say May when I mean March. Honestly, it's kind of just been one really long month, but uh, back in the middle of March, you guys were supposed to go to Australia, right? Yeah, exactly, and uh, do a record. But uh, you know, ultimately, the the time we've been afforded has been really good for the writing. Um, I think when we were about to go out to Australia, we had probably like six songs that we were really confident in that we're gonna, you know, be for sure making the record. And and now there's probably twice that many that we're gonna have to pick from. So it's gonna ultimately create a better product. It's just uh, I think people are getting anxious. Um, for us to put out some more new music so uh you know when that'll happen i don't know you know but. right and i think that's sort of the good thing especially for you know bands who are working on music you you have the time to really you know you know take and obviously other areas of entertainment i mean you know there's like movies that were done and they're like oh it's not going to come out for six months we're going to redo the score entirely because we didn't love it, you know, but we were in a rush to meet this date. So I think being able to take the time when you're actually able to, you know, put it out and tour for it, it I think I'm going to assume, you know, it'll just be worth the wait. Um, I wanted to sort of backtrack a little bit and talk about, because when I was reading about you, 
that I guess you started playing music when you were four or five. And the reason I mention that is I have a four-year-old son and he will definitely hit the piano as hard as he can, but I can't imagine having any kind of discipline that you could think like, you know, that your parents would think like, oh, you know what? He's uh, actually uh, pretty musical. So talk a little bit about how that came about and what sort of things you were doing when you were that small, you know? Yeah, it was a lot of like banging on pianos and in stores and stuff like that. And I, I got a guitar. I don't remember exactly what age it was, but I got sort of a miniature model guitar that my dad bought me for Christmas. And uh, I played it, you know, nonstop, but never really took it that seriously. I mean, you can you can play Aerosmith riffs without an ACDC stuff, like without a lot of uh, proficiency with, with the guitar, but you know, going in and playing some Angus and Joe Perry solos is like a totally different animal. And I never really took it to that level. I was kind of always just strumming along. And then, uh, you know, when I got into my later teens, I started taking it more seriously. And I'm still not exceptional uh, at it, by <laughs> mean. Right. But uh, I could always hold a note singing and, and, you know, throughout middle school and high school, it was just always getting into bands and uh, just really loved it, you know, from a young age. And yeah i mean it's i i know i i not being particularly musically inclined myself but i do understand what you're saying it's like okay it's one thing to learn that opening riff to smoke on the water like so many people do yeah. it's like but then right after that where's the rest you know right <laughs> so. and, then, and then even if like one of my buddies is a is a famous actor and he's been he had to learn guitar for one of his roles and i helped him out a lot with with it doing you know zoom calls and stuff he lives in texas and uh you know, he started getting into it and he got the, the itch and he's like, I can't figure out how to play the Stevie Ray Vaughan lick with, with the nuance that he plays it with. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I mean, that takes like yeah, 10 years. <laughs> yeah, you know? even even Stevie Ray Vaughan's, Vaughan's brother didn't play quite like that. You know? Yeah, so. well, he lives in Austin too. I've seen yeah. him many times. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I was like, you know, these things, you know, to be an expert in anything really takes a lot of time. So, um you just got to stick with it and he gets endlessly frustrated with the guitar. So it's pretty, uh, pretty funny. Yeah. And, uh, now you're from uh, somewhere in upstate New York. Uh, I yeah. read that. Uh, and, uh, I grew up sort of in the, it, it what's called upstate New York, uh, because but it's not like, really. Yeah. But it's like, it, it's like where the suburbs start to get Royal, uh, rural, sorry, the suburbs get yeah. start to get rural. So it's a, it's like an orange County, New York, a little tiny town called Greenwood Lake. And, uh, you know, I grew up up there and I, I went to a, I, I majored in broadcasting. That's why I'm bringing this up at Marist oh, College cool. in Poughkeepsie. And I know you did that. And so, you know, I'm- you Marist, you said? I went to Marist College in Poughkeepsie. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and that's like, a, it's a good communication school. I had a very specific track that I was on and, you know, I yeah. worked in TV and radio. And uh, it's just, it's interesting because I know you have a broadcasting degree and that somehow leads to obviously having this great band, but then also opening for the who and guns and roses. And as I was talking to you beforehand, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm in my, my wife's childhood bedroom at her in-laws house uh, doing interviews because I can't get into studios right now. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, I'm just sort of wondering, you know, how, it, I guess, obviously you were always into music was majoring in broadcasting sort of like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. I, you know, I like, uh, what what was the thinking there? And were you doing, you know, were you playing music and singing the whole time? No, I, I actually uh, played lacrosse in college. That was pretty much my whole college oh, wow. okay. choice. Um, you know, I got a scholarship to play lacrosse and I changed majors a couple times from business to 
I was going to be phys ed and then I went to broadcast. I discovered, I took a film class and I really enjoyed film class. And I was like, this, this is pretty interesting. And I always liked marketing too. Um, you know, so I just, uh, I sort of fell into this film class and, and really fell in love with it and, and started going down that road and um, really enjoyed the marketing classes as well. And, uh, you know, it certainly wasn't a focus. It wasn't until I, I studied abroad in Florence, Italy, and that was when I um, got a gig at this little bar, you know, hosting open mic nights and singing karaoke. And this, this Italian guy was like, you're incredible. You, you look <laughs> up on me. I want to, I want, I'm going to pay you. And I was like, okay, we're uh well uh two things about the that. euros a night yeah yeah two What's things that? about that so i want to know what were your go-to karaoke songs i'm not a good singer but uh if uh, people can sometimes be impressed with uh, the amount of, of excitement i have for uh cheap cheap tricks uh surrender because yeah. if you just drag it out on the chorus yeah. they're like okay he's giving it all he got i don't know how great it sounds but uh what are some of, what were some of your go-to's at this place in uh, Florence? uh definitely um acdc sure. Sure. Night long and highway to hell yeah there was a guy on guitar who would play along with oh you. wow that's yeah. cool yeah so i i go back to italy every year i love italy it's like it's one of my favorite places in the world and um the guy is still there. Like this is years <laughs> ago, and 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 uh, he doesn't remember what I look like at all. But I I always get up, and uh, you know he sees drunk people every oh, night. Of the week yeah, sure. And, you know, probably plays with seventy five of them, and I'll get up there, and he'll see Highway to Hell come on, and he's like, oh, okay. And then I I'll start singing with them, and uh, he's like, the Americano, the Americano. Oh my god! <laughs> he kisses me on both cheeks, and he ask how I'm doing and it's just so fun to go because he really doesn't know what's going on with right. me uh, professionally well the thing to do will be you know maybe after you have a full album come out when you go there and you're like oh I'm gonna do this dirty honey song now see if this guy knows if it, if it pops come. up yeah, yeah. If there's a karaoke <laughs> version that you can find that'd be great what's uh, uh what's the nuances for you know trying you know obviously people karaoke you know some of them take it seriously and you, know, you like you'll see the guy in the leather pants with the the robert plant haircut and you're like okay this yeah. guy this is his big night out and then you have just you know idiots like me but if you're trying what's the difference if you're like all right i'm gonna sing this bon scott acdc song you sing it differently if it's a brian johnson song i mean you do you, you or you just sing it like you either way i yeah i think what happened to me was I have a lot of vocal influences from both those guys, Brian Johnson, Bon Scott, Steven Tyler, Robert Plant, Chris Cornell, Jagger, um, and even like some older cats like Otis Redding and Sam Cooke. Um, and all of that, just, just performing out, doing all those songs, performing for hours each night when we would play around bars and clubs, you just sort of develop your own thing. And it's, it's in line with all those things, but it's not, doesn't sound like any single one of them really so hey, you just kind of find your own voice within that lane and, and do everything in that in that way and, right yeah no no that that makes sense uh it's uh, it's just uh, you know you just it's something that you think about for people who actually have like a range and don't just you know most nights i'm talking about when i do karaoke i you can't hear me the next day because all i do is yell so uh hey, you know to actually have the the nuances, um, I wanted to uh, uh, take just a few minutes to talk about putting the putting the band together. You know how you go from you know you're in college and and you, know, you said you played lacrosse. So how does Dirty Honey actually come about? 
I was, uh, my best friend growing up was my, I had two connections to California. One I, I had from studying abroad in Italy, my, my best friend, you know, that, that I went to school with out there, lived in San Jose, from San Jose. And, and his best friend from San Jose lived in Los Angeles. So I came out to visit everybody. I wanted to go to LA for the first time. And he introduced me to his, his childhood buddy. And that kid was like, uh, you know, I got an open room. If you want to move out, you know, feel free to live in the lot. We don't care. You know, they, we were all young and just trying things out. And um, my other connection to LA was my best childhood friend from upstate New York, went to the USC jazz school and stayed out here and, and lived here and uh, was obviously connected to the music scene. He was a great saxophone player and totally took a left turn and became a doctor at Johns Hopkins. That's another story. Well, yeah, but, I mean, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> He's a very smart guy, but kind of um, just a scatterbrain. Sure. Um, but he, you know, I was trying to get a job at a production company and he was like, man, you know, I really think you should be singing, you know, it's LA, but I, I don't really hear anybody doing what you do. I think you could have a, a good chance of doing something out here. And let me just put some musicians around you, book some gigs and uh, let's see if we can't get something started. So it just organically just started booking gigs, cover gigs at bars and John Nato showed up to sit in one night and uh, I fell in love with his playing immediately. It was everything I wanted. He was like this weird mix of Jimmy Page, Joe Perry, Brian May, and like he could do it all, but was unique in his own way. And um, I just said, yeah, I think we should start something. He was like, I know this bass player. He's got great hair and he can play the bass. And he introduced me to Justin and Justin introduced us to Corey, who was the final piece to, uh, you know, solidifying like an actual unit. And uh, after we, wrote when i'm gone which was a song that percolated between me and john for a long time sure. um you know things sort of took off so uh what you know you you put the band together you you start working on the songs how how long ago was that and basically how long is it between like okay well we're the band now and you're opening for you know slash um it took a while for for us really to get a drummer that we we all knew had the chops, but also wanted to do it more than anything. LA is just riddled with people that are trying to be Demi Lovato's, you know, guitar player sure. or whatever, you know, they, that's a good paycheck, you know? And um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Nuno Betancourt from Extreme played guitar for Rihanna for like a decade, you know? I yeah. mean, it's like, you can get one of those gigs. It's great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, more power to them. And, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that, you know, I can't, be a sideman for uh, John Mayer right now. You know what I mean? I have <laughs> right. too unique and weird of a voice to, <laughs> to fit in with that mold. I'm not a Renaissance person like that. So I always knew if I was going to do anything, it was going to be with a band. And uh, yeah, it, it took a couple of years probably to, yeah. to get that squared away. Well, it would make sense of finding a drummer. I, I mean, obviously it's sort of the easy thing for non-music people is to, you know, make fun of a drummer. But uh, I think if you don't have the right drummer, obviously it doesn't, it, I mean, look, if you're a great band and you have an okay drummer, you're going to be all right. But right. I, I can see if it doesn't quite gel, it's like, okay, we can do cover songs with a drummer who's just okay, but to actually develop yeah, your sound. Did. I mean, we must've played, I must've played with 10 different drummers doing right. cover songs, you know, and when it, when it came to like, Hey, do you want to take a risk and go 
throw down some of your own money and record some songs and shoot some videos and stuff, you know, that was like, people would try, Oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. Well, Mark, if uh, people want to find the music that's already out from Dirty Honey and, uh, you know, keep their eyes open for the, the eventual, you know, full album that'll come out, or is that the plan, a full album, or maybe another EP, or is it uh, all dependent on how it is, is the plan yeah. right now, what the release structure of that will be, I have no idea, I mean, yeah. we got to make it first and uh, see how good it is, but, um, you know, I think we're all kind of looking at an LP a, a, as the yeah. goal. Um, and, and honestly, with, with the stuff we've written, I think that should be the goal and, and will be the, the final product. But uh, yeah, yeah I mean, if, if you think about it, like 2021 is going to be this year where there's going to be all these great records, some of the most amazing tours, some of which were scheduled for this year and got pushed. Yeah. You know, there's like going to be like, you know, 20 movies all in the theater at the same time. That I, I kind of really want to see that, you know, so it's yeah. it's going to be great when it, when it actually comes around. But now we're just like, all right, you know, just hang out for a while. Yeah, there's like a push and pull happening. Like we're booking gigs right now in August, um, you know, in places, you know, more rural parts of the country. Um, yeah, what what's going to happen beyond August into the fall? Yeah. I really no idea you know it's so you know I, i'm optimistic but pessimistic at the same time it's it's very it's a very strange feeling to to not know what uh what the future holds at all so yeah exactly you know just the uh the other day and actually it'll be uh, paired up in the same episode where i'm talking to you i was talking to dennis de young from sticks and he had a new album come out and he's like well i want to go out and play it live but obviously that's just not the way it is right now and mm -hmm. You know he's in his seventies, so I I get. Or I think he is seventy. I don't want to I don't want to age right, him up too much. Right. And I get it. It's like yeah, you know, it's like sure when when the time's right, I'll definitely want to still go out there and play it. And yeah, I mean, it's also you know from a from a ticket buying perspective, it's like yeah, I, I want to personally for me, I want to go to concerts when I feel like it'll be okay, you know. And I think what you're talking about is sort of you know rural areas, outdoor shows where you know you can kind of space out a little bit. I, I look, I mean, people have gone to drive-in shows, you know, they've gone to see drive-in stand-up comedy and it's almost like whatever. Awful. Yeah. No, I, I, I know the, uh, I work with uh, Dennis Miller, the comedian and on yeah. his podcast, we had uh, Jim Florentine, another great comedian. I love Jim Florentine. He used to be on that metal show. Yeah. And uh, he did one of those shows. At, I saw that uh, clip on his Instagram. Yeah. And yeah, people are honking the horn at it. Yeah, exactly. The, 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 <laughs> laughing I was like, this is awful this poor guy yeah but, i know because uh, if yeah. you think about you know like look in the old day when when i was a kid and when I, you know when i went to concerts in like the late 80s early 90s you would hold up your lighter for like the big ballad and then it turned into let me hold up the flashlight i guess at the drive-in show it's like you're gonna flash your brights at the everybody on the stage like all right this is the song i was waiting for so yeah it all seems like you know, and I know people that are like, well, I would never go to a drive-in show. I'm like, I would go just to check it out, but I wouldn't expect much from it. You know what I mean? So the idea that we'll eventually get to like, you know, real shows on a, on a stage, however they have to do it, it's, uh, it's exciting. And uh, it's good to hear that, you know, you'll hear about actual clubs that are, that are booking things. And uh, so the idea that you guys might get back out there in August and, you know, sometime after that, we'll get the, uh, we'll get the album. And if they want to keep in touch with all of that, is it just dirtyhoney.com? Is it dirty honey on all the social media? Dirtyhoney.com. Yep. It, dirty honey, dirty honey band, one or the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll get some new music out for the people. I know everybody's, uh, 
you know, anxious and, and ready for something new. And, you know, there's nothing more that I'd like to do than to release a great record while people certainly have the time to digest it. Because I think that's a great flaw of music right now is that, um, you know, some, some great artist puts out an album and, and people just have so much going on in their lives, you know, these days that they can't really digest a full body of work, you know, and, and this is just a weird time for people to, you know, have the time to take things in. So, um, yeah, we're as anxious as anybody. So. Yeah. Well, Mark, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I, I love what I've heard from the band. Can't wait to hear more. And then uh, I also look forward to, I've never seen you guys live. I look forward to doing it one day, but not at a drive-in. You know, I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah, me neither. Me neither. So, uh, yeah, we'll get back out there. It'll, it'll get back to normal, I'm sure. So. Well, thanks again to Mark LaBelle. Uh, the band is Dirty Honey. As he said, go to dirtyhoney.com. You'll find everything you need there. Hope you enjoyed those conversations. Uh, always fun to get to do those. Now, next week is going to be one of our very rare audio-only episodes. That's right. A-U-R-A-L-L-Y. Only. Please insert orally episodes. And uh, I'll be having a very lengthy conversation with the musician, Mike Tramp, who most people probably would remember from his time as the frontman of the late 80s hard rock band, White Lion. I was scheduled to only talk to him for half an hour, but it was such a great conversation that in true Black Cast fashion, it ended up being 90 minutes. So you will find that in Black Cast 391, which will only be an audio episode. But that's not this time. That'll be next time on The Blackcast. Send me